The Mystical City of God, The Incarnation, Book 4, Chapter 12. The Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda, describes what was concealed from the demon concerning the mystery of the birth of the Incarnate Word, and of other happenings until Jesus's circumcision. 500. As far as depended upon the Lord, the coming of the Eternal Word as man was most fortunate and blessed for all the mortals, for he came in order to give light and life to all those that were in darkness and in the shadows of death. Luke 179. If the foreknown and incredulous stumbled and hurt themselves on this cornerstone, Romans 9.33, seeking ruin where they could, and should have, found resurrection to an eternal life, that was not the fault of the stone, but of those that made of it an occasion of scandal and of harm to themselves. Only for hell, the birth of the infant God was terrible, since he was the strong and invincible one, who came to despoil that armed enemy of his tyrannous rule, founded in lies, Psalm 23 8, who had held his fortification and unjust yet peaceful possession for a long time. In order to depose this prince of the world and of darkness, it was befitting that the sacrament of the coming of the word should be hidden from him. Because of his malice he was not only unworthy to be informed of the mysteries of the divine wisdom, Wisdom 2 21-24, but it was just that by divine providence the malice of this enemy should be blinded and confused. In his malice he had brought into the world the deceit and blindness of sin, and cast down the whole human race by the fall of Adam. 501. Accordingly Lucifer and his ministers were left in ignorance of many things, which they could naturally have known concerning the incarnation of the Word and other events in the course of his most holy life a fact which it is necessary to take notice of in this history. For if he had known for certain that Christ was the true God, he evidently would not have procured his death, 1 Corinthians 2 8, but he would have sought to prevent it, as will be said in its proper place. Concerning the mystery of the Nativity he knew only that Most Holy Mary had given birth to a son in poverty and in a forsaken cave, and that she had not found even lodging and shelter, also that the child was circumcised and otherwise treated as mere man, all of which was calculated rather to mislead his pride than to enlighten it. But he was ignorant of the manner of his birth, and of the virginity of the Blessed Mother before and after the birth, likewise of the message of the angels to the just, and to the shepherds, of their conversations, and of their adoration of the infant God. Nor did he see the star, nor did he know the purpose of the kings in coming to Bethlehem, although he saw them make the journey and attributed it to some worldly enterprise. The demons were also unable to account for the changes in the elements, the stars and planets, though they well perceived these changes and wonderful effects. They misjudged the words of the Magi in the presence of Herod, their arrival at the stable and the adoration, and the gifts offered. Notwithstanding, that they perceived the fury of Herod against the children and abetted it, yet they did not understand his object and they stirred up his cruelty. Although Lucifer suspected, that Herod was seeking to kill the Messiah, he considered him demented and treated him with derision. For in his pride he obstinately held fast to the opinion that the word, upon entering into the world in order to set up his dominion, would not come humbly and in a hidden manner, but with ostentatious power and majesty, 
while in reality the infant God chose a far different way, being born of a mother poor and despised by men. 502. Thus misled, Lucifer, having noticed some of the strange events connected with the Nativity, called together his helpers in hell, and said to them, I do not find any occasion for fear in the events which we have noticed in the world. It is true, the woman whom we persecuted so much has given birth to a son but in such poverty and neglect, that she could not even procure a lodging place in order to be delivered. We know all this to be far from the power and greatness of God. If he is to advance against us as weak as we have seen this child and as we have assured ourselves concerning it, he certainly can make no headway against our power. We need not fear that he is the Messiah, since there is even a plot to kill him as being mortal like the rest of men. This does not seem to point to the salvation of the world, since he himself seems to stand in need of atoning for his fault by death. All these signs are in contradiction with the purpose of the Messiah in coming into the world, and therefore it seems to me that we can rest assured that he has not yet come. The ministers of evil approved of the decision of their damned chief, and they were all satisfied that the Messiah had not yet come, for they were all accomplices in the malice and pride which blinded him. Wisdom 2.21 It never occurred to Satan in his vanity and indomitable pride, that the majesty and greatness of God should humiliate itself. Because he himself sought after applause, ostentation, reverence and exaltation, wishing if possible to appropriate all honor to himself. Since all honor was attainable by God it never entered his mind, that he would consent to the contrary and subject himself to humiliation, so much abhorred by the spirits of evil. 503. O sons of vanity! What examples are not here given to you for your enlightenment? Great is the lesson, which the humility of Christ, our teacher and our highest good, teaches and urges upon us, but if this does not move us, let the pride of Lucifer at least deter and frighten us. O vice, O sin, dreadful beyond human imagination! Since it confused an angel of such high intellect so much, that he could judge of the infinite bounty by no other standard than that by which he judged himself, and of his own malicious disposition. How far then does not man proceed in malice, if to his ignorance he joins guilt and pride. O oh, unhappy and most foolish Lucifer! How far do you go astray in judging of so reasonable and commendable a proceeding? What is more beautiful than humility and meekness joined with majesty and power? Why do you fail to see, insignificant creature, that not to know how to humiliate yourself is only weakness of mind and comes from a base heart? The magnanimous and truly great do not seek payment in vanity, nor do they seek after what is low, nor can they be satisfied with what is false and apparent. It is evident, O Lucifer, that you are shut out from truth and but an ignorant guide for the blind, Matthew 15:14. since you did fail to understand that the greatness of the bounty and love of God, Romans 5, 8, manifested and magnified itself in humility and obedience even unto death on the cross, Philippians 2 8. 504. All these errors and insanities of Lucifer and his ministers were known to the mother of wisdom and our mistress. And with a just appreciation of such high mysteries she magnified and blessed the Lord, 
because he had concealed them from the proud and arrogant and revealed them to the poor and humble, thus beginning to overcome the tyranny of the demons, Matthew 11:25. The kind mother offered up fervent prayers for all the mortals, who on account of their faults were unworthy of seeing the light, which for their salvation had appeared in the world. Of all this she reminded her most sweet son with incomparable compassion and love for sinners. In these affections she spent most of the time of her stay in the cave of the Nativity. But as this place was bare of all comfort and much exposed to the inclemencies of the weather, the great lady was most solicitous for the shelter of her tender and sweet child. As a most prudent mother she had brought along a mantle with which she covered him in addition to the ordinary swaddling clothes. Moreover she held him continually in the embrace of her sacred arms, except at times when in order to make Saint Joseph happy, she asked him to hold his incarnate God in his arms and serve him as a father. 505. When for the first time she placed the infant God in Saint Joseph's arms, the Most Holy Mary said to him, My husband and my helper, Receive in your arms the Creator of heaven and earth and enjoy his amiable and sweet company, in order that my Lord and my God may be delighted and recompensed by your faithful services. Proverbs 8.31 Take to yourself the treasure of the Eternal Father and participate in this blessing of the human race. And speaking interiorly to the Divine Infant she said, Sweetest love of my soul and light of my eyes. Rest in the arms of Joseph, my friend and spouse, who holds sweet intercourse with him and pardon me my shortcomings. Much do I feel the loss of you, even for one instant, but I wish to communicate without envy the good I have received, to all that are worthy. Wisdom 7.13 Her most faithful husband, acknowledging this new blessing, humbled himself to the earth and answered, Lady and Sovereign of the world! My spouse, how can I being so unworthy presume to hold in my arms God himself, in whose presence tremble the pillars of heaven? Job 26.11 How can this vile wormlet have courage to accept such an exalted favor? I am but dust and ashes but do you my lady, Assist me in my lowliness and ask His Majesty to look upon me with clemency and make me worthy through His grace. 506. His desire of holding the infant God, and his reverential fear of him caused in St. Joseph heroic acts of love, of faith, of humility and profoundest reverence. Trembling with discreet fear he fell on his knees to receive him from the hands of his Most Holy Mother while sweetest tears of joy and delight copiously flowed from his eyes at a happiness so extraordinary. The divine infant looked at him caressingly and at the same time renewed his inmost soul with such divine efficacy as no words will suffice to explain. He broke out in new canticles of praise at seeing himself thus enriched with such magnificent blessings and favors. After having for some time enjoyed in spirit the sweetest effects of holding in his arms the Lord, who contains heaven and earth, Isaiah 40:12. he replaced him into the arms of his fortunate mother, both of them being on their knees in receiving and giving him. Similar reverence the most prudent mother observed every time she took him up or relinquished him, in which also St. Joseph imitated her, as often as it was his happy lot to hold the incarnate word. When they approached his majesty, they also made three genuflections, 
kissing the earth and exciting heroic acts of humility, worship, and reverence. Thus both the great queen and the blessed Joseph observed all propriety in receiving or giving the child from and to one another. 507. When the heavenly mother judged a time to nourish him at her breast, she reverently asked permission of her son, for although she knew that she was to nourish him as her true and human child, she nevertheless bore in mind, that he was at the same time the true God and Lord and that a great distance intervened between the infinite being and a mere creature such as she was. As this consciousness was unfailing in the most prudent virgin, her reverence remained faultless and undiminished and permitted not the least forgetfulness in her. She was always filled with a comprehensive insight and she always reached perfection in all her acts. Therefore she nourished, served and tended her child, not with an uneasy haste, but with unremitting care, reverence and discretion, causing ever new admiration in the angels, whose celestial understanding reached not so far as to comprehend such heroic acts of a tender maiden. As they were always corporally present during the time which she spent at the gates of Bethlehem, they administered to her in all things demanded by the service of the infant God and of her. All these mysteries are so wonderful and admirable, and so worthy of our attention and remembrance, that we cannot deny our negligence in forgetting them, and we cannot acknowledge sufficiently, what harm we are doing ourselves in ceasing to think of them, nor do we sufficiently understand the divine effect which the memory of them produces in the faithful and grateful children of the Church. 508. From what has been revealed to me of the reverence with which Most Holy Mary and the glorious Saint Joseph as well as the angelic hosts treated the incarnate God, I could easily extend my discourse on the subject. Though I refrain, I yet wish to confess the want of reverence, with which I have until now audaciously behaved toward God, and how many faults, of which I have been guilty toward Him in this respect have become known to me. As I said and will relate further on, in order to assist the Queen, all the angels of her guard remained present in visible forms from the time of the birth until the flight of the child into Egypt. The solicitude of the humble and loving mother for her divine infant was so unremitting, that she would not part with him to place him in the arms of Saint Joseph or into those of the holy princes Michael or Gabriel, except on rare occasions when she was obliged to take some nourishment, for these two archangels had besought her to consign the child to their care during meals or when Saint Joseph was at his work. Thus he was placed into the hands of the angels, in admirable fulfillment of the words of David, in their hands they shall bear thee up, Psalm 9012. The most watchful mother would not take any sleep in her solicitude for her most holy son except when his majesty commanded her to do so. In reward for her diligence, he provided for her a new and more miraculous kind of sleep than that which she had until then enjoyed, for while she slept, her heart was awake, continuing or rather not interrupting the divine intelligence and contemplation of the divinity, Canticles 5-2. But from this day on, the Lord added still another miracle, namely, during the sleep, which was necessary, she retained in her arms the power of holding and embracing the child in the same way as if she were awake, and she gazed upon him with the eyes of her intellect, as if she were looking upon him with her bodily eyes, understanding all that she herself and her child did exteriorly in the meanwhile. 
Thus was miraculously fulfilled what is said in the canticles, I sleep, but my heart is awake. 509. The canticles of praise and exaltation of the Lord, which our celestial queen composed in honor of the child, alternately singing them with the holy angels and also with her spouse Joseph, I cannot express by my limited terms of speech. Of them alone there would be much to write, for they were uninterrupted, but the knowledge of them is reserved for the special enjoyment of the elect. Among all mortals the most faithful Joseph was privileged and blessed in this respect, for in many of them he himself participated and many of them he understood. Beside this he enjoyed another favor, of singular benefit and consolation to his soul and procured for him by the most prudent virgin, namely, many times in conversing with him of the child, she spoke of him as our son, Luke 2:48. not that he was the natural son of St. Joseph, since in the supernatural order he was the son of the eternal father and in the natural order, the son of his virgin mother but because in the opinion of men he was reputed to be the son of Joseph. This favor and privilege was of inestimable value to the saint and caused him immeasurable delight, on this account his heavenly spouse delighted in using this designation when conversing about her son. The instruction which the Blessed Virgin Mary, our Queen and Lady of Heaven gave me. 510. My Daughter I see you are full of devout emulation of the happiness which the intercourse with my son afforded to me, as well as my spouse and the holy angels, since we beheld him present to our bodily eyes as you desire for yourself, if it were possible. I wish to console you and guide your affections toward that which you yourself can, and should do, according to your condition in order to attain the same happiness which you covet in us. For this purpose, beloved, recall what you have already sufficiently understood concerning the ways of God in raising up those souls, whom he seeks with paternal love and affection. You have attained this knowledge by being favored with so many particular calls and enlightenments of the Lord, wherein he continually waits at the portals of your heart, and urges you onward expecting your conversion. Wisdom 6.15 You have seen him drawing you to himself by repeated favors and by most exalted doctrines, selecting you for the narrow bands of his loving intercourse, Colossians 3.14, and the great purity due to this concession. 511. Faith likewise teaches you, that God is present in all places by his essence and by the power of his divinity, and that to him all your thoughts are open, as well as your desires and sighs without exception. If you cooperate with this truth so as to preserve the graces which you receive through the sacraments and other channels divinely instituted, the Lord will remain with you also by divine and special assistance, and in it he will regale you with his love as his chosen spouse. Now since you know and understand all these truths, tell me, what more can you envy or desire? when you already possess all that you so anxiously sigh after. What I require of you, and all that remains for you to do, is that you exert yourself in holy emulation to imitate this intercourse and reproduce in yourself the disposition of the angels, the purity of my husband, and to copy in yourself my life, 
as far as possible, in order to be a fit dwelling place of the Most High, 1 Corinthians 3.17. You must direct all those endeavors, all those desires and exertions with which you would have wished yourself to be animated if you had seen and adored my Most Holy Son in his birth and infancy, toward the fulfillment of this doctrine. For if you imitate me, you may rest secure, that you have me as a teacher and the Lord for an assured possession of your soul. In this assurance you can speak to him, embrace him and delight yourself with him, as with one who is present. For in order to communicate these delights to the pure and untainted souls he has assumed human flesh and become a child. But always look upon him as the great God, though a child, in order that your caresses may be guarded by reverence and your love accompanied by holy fear. For the one is due to him as God, and the other befits his immense bounty and merciful magnificence. 512. In this manner of intercourse you must continue without intervals of lukewarmness lest you disgust him. Your legitimate and chosen occupation should be none other than the love and the praise of the infinite God. All the rest you must enter into only sparingly, in such a way as if visible and earthly things scarcely concerned you and cannot detain you even for a moment. You must maintain yourself in this soaring height, so that you seem not to have anything earnestly to attend to, except to seek the highest and true God. Me you should imitate and for God alone you should live, all the rest should not exist for you, nor should you exist for it. But the gifts and blessings which you receive, I wish you dispense and communicate for the good of your fellow men, observing the perfect order of holy charity, thus your gifts will not evaporate, but be still more increased, 1 Corinthians 13.8. In all this you must keep the regulations which befit your condition and state, as I have already shown and instructed you in other places at other times.